Hi folks, welcome on the first ever episode of the Social Impact Podcast, a show where social entrepreneurs and impact investors share insights on the critical social issues of our time and ways to address them. Today's guest is the social entrepreneur of the year 2019 in the UK. He co-founded BIM, the London-based social enterprise that quote funds new career opportunities for homeless men and women. His name is Alex Stefani. Throughout the interview, Alex shares a great amount of knowledge on homelessness and how to leverage tech to address such a complex social issues. Enjoy. Hi, Alex. It's great to have you here this morning on the Social Impact Podcast. How are you doing in London? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful sunny day. Um, obviously, wish, uh, like everyone else, we could be outside enjoying it. But uh, um, yeah, doing well. I, uh, it's a surreal time, but you yeah. know, very, very lucky compared to many other people, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Obviously, it's, uh, it's crazy times and uh, we are going to talk about homelessness in London and how you've been tackling this critical social issue for the past three years with uh, your social enterprise, BIM. Uh, but of course, my first question, um, it's about the COVID-19 outbreak. I can only imagine these are, are highly um, challenging times for disadvantaged communities and especially the homeless people. How does this crisis affect the homeless people and how BIM was able to address uh, the crisis? Well, you're right. It does have a disproportionate um, impact without doubt on, um, on people who are disadvantaged for all kinds of reasons. Um, they uh, may, uh, because they have underlying health conditions or they may have developed underlying health conditions as a result of living in overcrowded or unsanitary conditions or on the streets. So this is a, a much more vulnerable group and obviously if they get into trouble, they, um, while they uh, are very likely to be able to use the NHS, they might not have um, the ability to look after themselves in the same way that other people can for variety of different reasons obviously included that they might not they might not have the money available to 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 to, to buy the the food the medicine the other things that might help them in in a recovery um so people are experiencing homelessness in different ways there are people who are in temporary accommodation and this is uh, provided to them by the government because they have a certain level of need and um the group within temporary accommodation tends to be um, often um, single mums and kids, that's the biggest group within temporary accommodation. Um, and that can be very, very difficult because you can have a whole family living in one or two small rooms. And particularly with self-isolation, that is uh, even harder than it is normally. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, a smaller group but a group that is in more acute need, you could say, who are, who are sleeping rough. And there's been some quite uh, amazing efforts um, led by um, uh, Louise Casey, Dame Louise Casey, among other people, mm -hmm. to try and move this group of people into um, fixed um, hotel and other accommodation to um, reduce their exposure um, on the streets. Um, and obviously that's become more achievable because um, tourist numbers to London. Yeah. 
you know, dropped massively, um, I think by something like 90%. So um, that fortunately has, uh, has created the, the, this opportunity or made this opportunity easier for them. Um, in terms of what Beam is doing, so we traditionally um, focused on really long-term solutions for homelessness, and that has been um, crowdfunding, employment training for people who are experiencing homelessness to get into, into a really good job yep. and to support themselves and their families. And the way the model has worked, people have joined the website, they've been referred to us by government and by charities. We do something really simple in a way, we sit down with them and we talk about what they should be doing with their life. We then use crowdfunding to remove all of their financial barriers and we support them into that job, anything from being a bricklayer to an accountant. Mm. Now, it's really important for us that we continue to think in long-term ways. And um, we do that with every person that we support, but we also need to make sure we're addressing people with more short-term emergency needs. So recently we've um, repurposed our technology um, to uh, provide for these emergency needs. Um, and if you go to beam.org forward slash coronavirus, you can see um, what we call emergency campaigns. And these are funding emergency care packages uh, for individuals in emergency accommodation. Um, and these are um, health packages, food packages, um, and they also do contain a sort of a training and educational element as well. So we'll still ask the individual what they want to do longer term and, and try and give them some of the resources that they need to continue that self-development um, during this period of self-isolation. Awesome. Well, it's certainly great to, to know that social organizations such as uh, you folks are stepping up during these, these trying times and trying to elevate the negative impact of, of, um, of this sanitary crisis. Uh, Alex, I, I'd love to know more about the origins of BIM. So you founded BIM uh, three years ago in 2017. Uh, but to give the audience a little bit of background about yourself, uh, you were the CEO of a successful parking management app in London named uh, Just Park, and you did a great job in growing this company. Uh, and then you, you left this startup to, let's say, focus on something with a bigger social mission. Uh, was it obvious for you that you would become a social entrepreneur one day, or did it just happen? And what excited you the most in tackling homelessness and becoming a social entrepreneur? So I, I would say that some of the big inspirations in my life are not your classic kind of tech entrepreneur inspirations. They're not you know, Elon Musk, although I think he's done some pretty remarkable things. There are people who have uh, done impressive, important things in their communities. Um, and some of these people, then they've not achieved the billions or the global fame that an Elon Musk has done, but they've made incredible change. And there are some of these role models in my family Uh, who've been very involved in community work, um, grandparents, great-grandparents, and um, I would say, and my parents. And, 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 and it got to the point in my career when I had done a certain amount of, I guess, social work. Um, I had worked for a legal charity and given kind of free legal advice um, to some very, very disadvantaged people in London for about six months. Um, but I hadn't really made it the focus of my work. And I had built a skill set and a network in technology. And I felt that it's possible that technology and data is underused in how we solve these social problems. At least none of the entrepreneurs 
that I knew and I know hundreds from the yeah. sort of London startup world were really tackling these social problems or a tiny, tiny number were. Um, and so my broad thesis was, well, look, maybe I can take some of these skills and some of this network and apply it in a new context and, and add some value. And I think, you know, a key driver for me is, is to be useful. And I think you can be useful uh, when you are working on things that not enough people are working on, um, approaching things in a different way. Um, and my co-founder is very much from the, he's from the homelessness sector, he's from the social care sector, he's worked at NHS England. So he, he brings a lot of that kind of substantive knowledge. Um, but I'm hopefully bringing some new ideas and some new skills um, to, to, to bear on these problems as well. Um, so yeah, a combination of, I think, you know, looking at role models um, in the social space, but also just this general desire to be useful. I'm kind of, I'm at my happiest when I feel that, um, you know, I'm doing stuff that, that, that matters. Awesome. How, how did you come up with um, your focus on homelessness? Like you just, you just said, um, you noticed that homelessness, homelessness, not enough people were working on this. How uh, did you figure it out that not enough people were tackling uh, this social issue? Uh, I think there are not, an, I mean, there's lots of people working on homelessness. There's, mm. there's roughly a thousand organizations working on homelessness in one form or another, um, doing some fantastic work, and we, we're part of many of them. I felt that there were probably not enough people from a technology background And yet, it was clearly an issue that we need to do more on. Um, in its most visible form of rough sleeping, yeah. this is probably the most visible, conspicuous form of inequality in our society, that you can walk through our streets and see people who have nothing, have absolutely nothing, and live in the most appalling uh, situation, which is miserable in a way that you or I probably will never be able to understand. And this is normality. This is normality in, um, you know, I, in, in the country or from France, in the country or now in Portugal, in the country I live in, in every country I've ever lived in. This is normality. And so for me, it's a sort of, it's a very clear problem that everyone recognizes as a problem, a little bit like parking, to be honest. Everyone knows parking is not, is not working and is a painful experience, but homelessness is you know, a different order of magnitude in terms of, importance of problem to be solving it um so that that was you know that's clear um then when i looked into this issue i realized that for every one person we see on the streets there are about 25 or 30 people who are in emergency accommodation so what we see is really just the tip of the iceberg of homelessness mm -hmm. and this much larger group really don't have enough eco economic opportunity and for me i've always been interested in long-term structural solutions um, how we can empower people to be involved in uh, their own recuperation, their own um, betterment, um, uh, because no one wants to be um, receiving charity. No one feels good about that. No one feels good to be in debt. Yeah. It's just a universal human thing. So for me, it's all about building models that allow people to give back. Uh, and one of the most, I think, fulfilling things about Beam is when I see donations coming in from people who've been through this model, people who six months ago had nothing and were hopeless, 
today they're in stable work and they're actually donating to other people to come through being they're a patron to others they're they're micro philanthropists um and they i know that they find that experience incredibly rewarding incredibly empowering to just to be in that position of privilege and power in terms of how it got started uh it started yeah about three years ago um I got to know and became friends with this homeless man at my local train station and I would buy him cups of coffee and pairs of socks but I could see his condition just getting worse in front of my eyes. At one point he disappeared and then when he reappeared he just looked terrible about 10 or 15 years older and I went up to him and I said what's happened where have you been and he says been in hospital I had a heart attack and so we speak and it's a it's a difficult conversation and i walk home and it hits me so hard as i walk home to my nice flat where i'm in now that nothing i've done have really has really made this person's life better actually in a worse position he's in a worse position than when we first met so i asked myself a question which is what could i have done to have given this man um to have put this person in a better position and for me the answer was quite clear he never really been in work he couldn't really remember the last time he was in work and what if instead of a coffee we could give him the skills the confidence the support to get into work to provide for himself mm. so he by himself the coffees the socks the hundred other things we all need wouldn't that be better the next thought is well hang on a second that's going to cost a lot more money than a cup of coffee that's a lot more complicated than giving someone a cup of coffee but well why can't we solve the money bit if we all chip in what if you and I and everyone gives a few quid, then maybe we'll solve that money bit. And then in terms of the support bit, well, maybe we need an organization that is going to take all this money together and make sure that it's spent on the right things for the right people at the right time. And they're gonna support that individual to achieve that, that life and employment goal. Um, and that organization didn't seem to exist. So I thought, well, maybe it has a role. And then I uh, went around and I learned about homelessness and we got lots of input into this model from homeless people and from homeless charities. Um, and we tested it and it worked. And um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, today we've built a model that we think may be the most effective and most scalable way to support very disadvantaged, um, long-term unemployed people into meaningful paid work. Awesome. Uh, yeah, um, and, and I'd love to, to understand uh, how the model works, uh, like breaking down the step by step. So, uh, and you just shared a really insightful uh, thing about the fact that for every homeless people person we see on the street, there are about 25 in shelters. And uh, that's a crazy insight when you, when you think about it. Um, so how do you connect with homeless people that want to give your approach a try? Are you connected with the shelters uh, of London? So BEAM is a very, very collaborative model. We work with the existing ecosystem of homelessness services. Um, as I mentioned, there are many of them and, uh, and there's so many people doing such good work in this space. Um, it makes sense to tap into those networks and tap into those skills and services. So the way the model works is we take referrals to BEAM okay. from this existing ecosystem of both homelessness charities and also local authorities who work with groups who are homeless and vulnerably housed. So uh, we, have we have referrals coming in from uh, 
the big homelessness charities like Shelter and Centrepoint and St Mungo's and then we also work with local authorities around London and um, what happens after that is they um, they have a conversation with with someone in the beam team and uh, they do what's called a safety and well-being plan so they think about the risks in this person's life and how you manage it but then they also think more positively about what that person wants to achieve so taking a very strengths-based view um, what is the right job for this person because it's very easy to be negative it's very easy to to look at the challenges in people's lives and often there are many but everyone also has positive attributes and ambitions and strengths let's actually focus on those yeah. and let's build a plan that is built around those things and you know turn, maybe someone is really good with their hands you know maybe they've got very poor written skills but let's forget about that let's focus on the fact they're really good with their hands okay um maybe we should look at a range of careers including carpentry okay oh great you're you know, your second cousin was a carpenter. I was really interested in that. Okay, well, let's pursue that further. And so you, you can then build a plan that's built around each person. Um, when you have that plan, you then end up with the budget. So you realize the training costs. There are maybe other costs. Maybe this person becoming a carpenter um, is a mum with young kids and there's childcare costs. And so we need to fund the childcare. Maybe there's transport costs and so on. So then we end up with the budget. Um, and then we end up with a campaign which sits on beam.org and anyone um, anywhere in the world can come and support that individual to become a carpenter. They can fund that person's campaign directly or they can give each month. And each month we then use an algorithm to allocate them a new campaign, ensuring that all of the campaigns on the platform proceed at the same rate of funding. And then after that, the individual um, is supported by their caseworker at Beam through the training and into work. And the final stage, as I mentioned before, is that um, typically people choose once they're settled in skilled work to donate small, small amounts each month to new people coming through the model. And because we're giving people skills and giving them the opportunity to get into good work, not kind of bullshit work that, that, that exists um, in, too, in too large numbers in, in our economies, because they're getting into good work, um, they do often have um, a little bit of disposable income and the average salary of people who come through beam is more than 28,000 pounds. So it's, it's a really decent, um, it's a decent salary, even in a city as expensive as London. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of the model in a nutshell. Exactly. Uh, I noticed two things that I would love to highlight in your, in your model and that really caught my attention. Uh, the first one is the support community you are able to create for each participant uh, and yeah. each project. Uh, so I can imagine that for a homeless person that might not be linked to any family or that might have family in uh, other countries, so that is not or she's not used to uh, having a lot of support, seeing that 150 people you don't know all chipped in to encourage you uh, can be a tremendous source of hope and motivation. Um, and, and yeah, this is the proof that a lot of people care and a lot of people want you to get back on your feet and and the ability of your platform to bring that proof uh, for them uh, might be to, to my opinion uh, your, your your biggest added value w would you agree with that would you say it's uh, really um, it's huge it's huge yeah. definitely I mean when people are referred to us they often are at a very low place in terms of their self-esteem mm -hmm. and they've forgotten that a lot of people care about them they've forgotten that their life has value. And 
when they come onto the platform, yes, hundreds of people are donating to the campaigns. They're sending messages of support. Good luck, you can do this. My uncle was this job, it's such a great career. My daughter does this job, best of luck. Mm. Uh, and that really does change how people see themselves. That really gives them this big boost in confidence, which is necessary because they are doing something quite challenging um, at a time when many of them have been unemployed for a long time. You know, I, in times in my life I've been unemployed, I know how quickly it can affect your confidence. But I'm very lucky, you know, I have a good education and a good degree and I have lots to fall back on. But if you don't have some of those things and you've been unemployed for much longer, the average person we work with has been unemployed for five and a half years, you, who almost whoever you are, your confidence is really low. Yeah. So the messages and the motivation is as important as the money. Um, and actually anyone can send a, a positive message to someone using the Beam platform. If you go to beam.org forward slash news, you see a news feed um, of everything that's going on in the Beam community and you can see updates of people in training and so on. And you can just go there and you can just leave a message for someone. And that stuff is really powerful. Yeah. Um, I think at larger scale, we'll begin to have a clear sense of um, the difference that that makes. Um, but anecdotally, we see that every day that people are just like literally growing in confidence. They, they, they arrive and they're stooped and they have no confidence. And, you know, a few months later, they, they are as confident as anyone you can meet. I remember, you know, before the lockdown, um, there was one woman who, when I first met her, she just would mumble. Yeah. And then the last time I saw her, we were leaving the tube station at the same time because she was coming for a meeting um, at Beam. And, you know, she shouted across the tube station, yeah. in a way that I would never have the confidence to do. Awesome. Um, so just a completely different person. That happens all the time. And it's because I think you're right. It's this crowdsourced mm -hmm. support. People care. People care about these issues. And technology is a way of making it easy for them to make a difference and making it making easy to show other people easy for people to help. Fantastic. And, and, and the second thing uh, that I love about your platform is the transparency aspect for a couple of things. The first thing is the cost of uh, each project that is broken down in, uh, in details. Uh, so the donors or the supporters can see really where, uh, how they are going to help a project uh, and, a, and a participant of your program to uh, achieve uh, their goals. And the other thing is the transparency with the progress of the project, of the member. Uh, you have updates months after the, do the donation, months after a campaign is funded. Uh, you can see when uh, the member uh, got into training, when uh, she or he got a job, uh, and that's a very easy way for donors to keep in touch with um, uh, the, the member that they, they decided to support. Uh, so would you say it's critical for social organization to have this kind of transparency uh, for the budget or, or wh where the money from donation goes and to show a, an easy way to what impact uh, did your donation has have? I, I think so. I mean, I think that's the direction of travel is people want to see where their money goes and the impact that it has. And there are at least three things we do. And you mentioned them briefly. We have a budget. We show where the money goes. 
We even link to the exact thing that is being bought when we can. Uh, we give updates um, on the individual's progress. Uh, we also give um, donors individual KPIs. So you have effectively a KPIs page. You can see I funded 20 people, 12 of them are in work at the moment, six of them are training, two of them are looking for jobs and whatever it is, and break that down individually. And then at an aggregate platform level, um, there is a, one of my favorite pages of the website is beam.org forward slash transparency, which has uh, probably about a hundred and, well over a hundred, maybe around 150 live data points coming out of our database on all kinds of things. It's obviously updated in real time. Um, and I think that's really important because we, you know, we need to build trust with people. We need to also be open so that we can get feedback on what we do. We are going to make mistakes. Of course, we are going to make mistakes. We're doing something hard. We're a small team. We don't have enough resources. Um, and it's only by being open that we can get the feedback that we need um, to be better as an organization. So I think it's important. I think transparency is something that is easier when you're a technology organization because you can build the tools that make that possible. Um, and I think it's probably only going to increase that trend. And I suspect that, you know, the more established charities will, uh, will do a lot more on that front and will invest heavily in that front to become more transparent over the coming years. Um, but I think that's a general trend, you know, it's not just about nonprofits or social enterprise. Mm -hmm government is trying to be more transparent big companies are trying to be more transparent you know social media in itself is all about yeah. arguably it's about providing more transparency on, on people's lives and their thoughts and so on so i think that's just a sort of general trend um and we just live in a world where if you're not open you're not really going to be able to build relationships trust um and, and grow got it uh, most of being members uh, who successfully funded uh, funded their campaign and achieved their goals needed yep. less than 5k pounds to to do it um, would you say it's an interesting insight maybe to share to governments to encourage them to increase funding for training opportunities and um, uh, for homeless people um, do, do you have insights on return on investment for society um, you know like what's the cost of having a, a person to stay homeless versus the cost of having this person find a long-term work to encourage governments to increase funding? Yes. Uh, so we have done some work on this. We're doing a lot more work on this at the moment. Yeah. And we're really excited to be doing some work with a, um, a global strategy consultancy um, as well on this. And it's definitely, definitely the case that uh, the payback period on these types of investments are, are measured in a small number of months because the welfare costs um, for this group are very, very high. They're very high in terms of housing costs, in terms of unemployment benefits, and they're very high in terms of you know, other external costs. If you can move someone from being a very uh, long-term expensive recipient of welfare into someone who is paying tax. To do that once is quite significant. To do that thousands of times over 
can have a significant measurable impact on an economy, even a large economy like mm. the UK. Um, so that's what we want to do. We want to make it easy for uh, and visible that in terms of what government should be doing in terms of its spending and its strategy. Um, so that's very much the hope. Um, and we'll have to see, I guess, uh, we'll have to see how it goes, but we're building with each person that we support into work, we're building a stronger case, um, for investing in people. And, you know, ultimately what this model is about is investing in people. You know, we will meet someone, we'll put together a package of support that they need training and anything else. These are financial barriers that might've existed for years for that person's in that person's life for years they might not have been able to afford 500 pounds to buy themselves some tools to start work as a plumber um, or whatever it is um, now these investments make sense there is great return on investment they have great net present value if you're assessing them as a financial investment opportunity you take it every time and the middle classes uh, have been doing this, of course, and middle class parents are paying for these things for their children, allowing their children and you know to progress. Um, but the sorts of people that we work with ha haven't had their barriers removed for them to allow them to progress in the same way, even though it makes complete sense. It makes complete sense for the middle class parent to, to, to buy these things and support their children and allow them to thrive. It makes complete sense to do that for everyone. Um, and so I hope, yeah, that we will uh, build consensus that um, that you can smartly invest um, in individuals um, in society and, and that benefits not just those individuals but that benefits every single taxpayer yeah got it uh, and that would be my final question and I see your model being quite replicable in other cities countries languages uh, is it something you have in mind or you are fully focused uh, on London right now is a great question. So we definitely uh, want to be globally active. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been approached by quite a lot of cities and countries, um, so people in government, people in charities, who would like to see this model in their city. And we are uh, beginning to have these conversations. So if you are listening to this podcast, and um, particularly if you work in government and you're interested in seeing this model rolled out in your city, uh, definitely get in touch with Bean. Uh, we would very much like to be providing this service um, and helping as many people as we can. I guess we're quite international in outlook. I, uh, I'm obviously from, you know, the UK. I have a strong connection with with this country. But if there is someone who is, you know, in need of help in in a different country, then I want to help them just as much as someone who comes from my own country, frankly. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and we'd replicate this crowdsource model. So if we were active in, in Portugal, we're active in Lisbon, um, we would allow people um, in Lisbon to support people coming through in Lisbon. And they would be trained in training centers in Lisbon and they would be hired by, by companies in Lisbon and you replicate this ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely would love to be um, working all around the world. Um, it's about going, I guess, step by step in the right way. Um, there's an awful lot to be getting on with here in London. Um, but yeah, well, I guess watch this space for more international well, stuff. Well, it's great to, to see that you have a global vision and a, a global motivation to, to bring that uh, uh, system all around the world. And I, I would love to be uh, involved uh, if I can help uh, with Lisbon or Lyon in, in France. Uh, th that's a project I would love to, to participate in. 
Alex, I want to thank you for taking the time today to give great insights about uh, such a critical social issue. And I will definitely uh, follow you guys um, on, the, on the coming years to see uh, your progress and uh, your social uh, initiatives. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.